Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two of the All About Everest podcast. And I'm your host, Pauline Reynolds Nuttall. On this podcast, you can get anything and everything about Mount Everest, including interviews, book recommendations, tips, updates, and a whole lot more. So welcome to the spring 2023 Everest climbing season. And here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two, episode six of the All About Everest podcast. I have an awesome interview for you guys today with Hari Buddha Magar. He is a former Gurkha in the British military and a double amputee above the knee. He's in the middle of his Everest journey, and I'm so glad that I was able to talk to him and we were able to bring this interview for you guys because his story is so amazing and we get to follow him on his Everest journey because he will be climbing this spring and he's heading out to Mount Everest in the next couple of weeks. Just a couple of things I wanted to get to before we get to the actual interview with Hari. The next couple of episodes, I'm not sure what they're going to be about because I had several interviews scheduled and we had to reschedule them One of them is rescheduled for next month, and four of them are rescheduled for May. So hopefully I can fill those slots. It's why I'm always hesitant to say, hey, this is who is going to be on the next episode. The second thing is, is that the documentary Finding Michael will be coming out on Disney Plus in the UK and Europe on March 3rd. I do not believe it's going to be released in the U.S., Bear Grylls and Nims Day have been promoting it on their pages on Facebook and across social media. So be sure to go ahead and check those out. And it looks like it's going to be a really good documentary. And I'm excited, hopefully, to be able to watch it because I'm in the U.S. and I'm not in Europe. So I don't have access to Disney Plus UK. There might be some weird workaround, but... I'm not that tech savvy. Based on information from the Chinese government, as well as other people reporting on the spring climbing season, Explorers Web and Alan Arnett, Tibet will remain close to foreign mountaineers for this spring climbing season. We talked to Adriana a couple episodes ago, and she was unable to get a permit for Cho Oyu last year because Tibet was closed. So she tried it from the Nepali side and was unsuccessful. There are several expedition companies that they prefer the north side of Everest from Tibet because it's less crowded and they don't have to circumvent the Kumbu Ice Fell, which is extremely dangerous. And several of the people on the pod have talked about it. Uh, Alpen Glow and Jason Black, who we had on the podcast, have said that they will only climb from the north side, just to name a few. And I completely understand why, because overcrowding and the Kumbu Icefell are two contributors to the many deaths on Mount Everest. Alan Arnett did a really good 
episode about the breakdown of how much it's going to cost for Mount Everest this year, as well as his introduction to this spring climbing season. No one does it better than Alan Arnett, so I'm not even going to try, but I highly encourage you guys to listen to his most recent episode about what he expects for this spring 2023 season on Mount Everest. The spring climbing season is right around the corner and we're just a couple of days short of March 1st, which usually the first week of March is when the ice doctors head out anywhere between the 1st and the 7th towards Everest Base Camp to start getting the route ready through the Kumbu Icefall. So exciting. And there's a couple of people that have been on the podcast that will be climbing this year, including Harabuda Magar, as well as I believe Adriana said she will be climbing Mount Everest this year. So it's super exciting. One of the funny things is, is that uh, during my little pre-interviews, because there's a few minutes before the actual recorded part, I'll show them the mountains outside. I live in the Rocky Mountains in Montana at about 4,000 feet, which is about 1,200 meters, give or take. And it has been colder here than Antarctica and Mount Everest. Like it's been negative 20 and negative 40 with the wind chill factor. Before I get to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to mention to all of you listeners out there that are outdoorsy who camp, hike, backpack, kayak, cycle, all of those wonderful things, you should definitely try the Nomadic subscription box. It's a monthly subscription box that starts as low as $29.99. I've been subscribed since 2018 and I absolutely love that box. You get between four to six items, and I've been able to try out a lot of different kinds of new gear that I wouldn't otherwise try. And for our listeners, the Nomadic subscription box has been kind enough to give us a 10% discount. Just use the code EVEREST at checkout. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited to introduce you to Hari Buddha Magar. I was so excited when he decided that he would do the interview with me. I reached out to him and it took a little bit of scheduling because he is seven hours ahead of me. And between my schedule and his schedule, we definitely made it happen. He was born in Nepal and he joined the Gurkha unit with the British military. And every year there's about anywhere between 10,000 to 20,000 Nepali that try to get into this unit and they only pick 200. And Hari joined this unit and while he was in Afghanistan, he lost both of his legs. So he is a double amputee above the knee. One of the things that saved him because he got into this very, very dark period in his life was trying new sports and realizing that he could pretty much do anything that someone with two legs can. 
and he really got into mountaineering. Well, back in 2017, the Nepali government put a ban on solo climbing, blind climbers, and any climbers that were double amputees above the knee. And he had to basically go up against them and say, hey, I deserve a permit and I decide and I deserve to do this too. Last year, he trekked to Everest Base Camp, which was a huge achievement for him. And this year he will be climbing Mount Everest. As we discussed in the podcast episode, there's a bunch of different logistics that you normally wouldn't have like with someone who has two legs, but he's definitely on the fast track. I will include all of his links in the description and I encourage you guys to follow him because his story is so phenomenal and so inspiring. And we as listeners, we get to follow him while he achieves this amazing thing because essentially he will be the first double amputee above the knee to summit Mount Everest. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview and here we go. Someone just, uh, hi, I wanted to welcome Hari Buddha Magar to the podcast. He is a mountaineer. He has an amazing story and thank you so much, Hari, for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast. So Hari's in the middle of his Everest journey and he will be climbing this year, but his background is so inspiring that I wanted to bring him onto the podcast to inspire you guys. So Hari, welcome again and tell us a little bit about where you're from originally. Uh, I was born in Nepal, in western part of Nepal, um, uh, and I grew up up to age of 19. Uh, then um, I joined Gurkhas. Hopefully some people know about Gurkhas. If you don't know, Gurkhas are simply the soldiers from Nepal, as men from Nepal, who work in the British Army. And we are working uh, for the British Army over 208 years. And we, we got involved pretty much all the conflict that Great Britain has involved. And is it hard getting into the Gurkha unit? Yes, it is very hard. So in my year, we were more than uh, 12,000 applicants and uh, I was uh, able to got in 230. So this year, there were more than 20,000 applicants and 204 uh, were successful this year. That <laughs> is crazy. So it's extremely difficult to get into that unit. Yes, it's very difficult, very competitive. Uh, and yeah, so, so even British Army, uh, their basic training is two months, ours is nine months. So. <laughs> wow. And did you always want to be in the Gurkha unit? Not when I was young, um, but I knew that uh, some of, um, you know, our seniors uh, joined the uh, British Army, but just, just very, very few. You could see this one or two. Um, and when I was uh, going to uh, school, 
uh, some of my friends from the school who joined in. So um, um, I just, you know, follow them and, and uh, joining British Army uh, for a Nepalese boy uh, is one of the best job you can have it. Uh, as a being a Nepalese boy, you can able to join um, four different armies. So simply you can join British Army, uh, Singapore police, they, they don't have army, so they call it police, but they're paramilitaries. <laughs> uh, and um, Indian Army uh, and um, uh, Nepalese Army. So we called we, we are called Gurkhas. That that's crazy. Um, and how old were you when you joined that unit? Uh, I was uh, age of nineteen. Nineteen years old was in college and possibly I had the best um, best sons. I never thought that I would able to join the um, you know British Army because it's too tough and it's um, so um, hard you just you know best is not option so you need to be best after best but also the lucky <laughs> to get in. So I never never thought that I could able to join but uh, yeah, I, I worked hard. I was disciplined, and I think my luck, um, you know, um, uh, give me a favor. So I think I got in. And how old were you when you were sent to Afghanistan? I was, I think, thirty-two. I was, um, yeah, I think it's about thirty-one, thirty-two. I was. Uh, I was a corporal um, I, uh, in the British Army. Uh, I had a pretty good career. I had a very, uh, I was quite versatile. I was uh, qualified at, in, in um, infantry, but also pioneering, which is, uh, you know, part of engineering. So, uh, yeah, um, I was pretty good. Um, um, I had a pretty good career in, in the Army. I travel around the world, um, so yeah, um, worked with the many um, multinations, uh, NATO allies, and around the world. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed my job. Uh, if I had a chance, I would do it again. And when you were in Afghanistan, you were injured. Tell us about that. Um. It was 17th April, 2010. Um, we were 20 in the squad. Uh, I was 10, we were traveling in single file. It was about uh, three, four o'clock um, in the afternoon. Um, I would, on that day, I had, we had two jobs. One job was to uh, give security to two surveyors so that they can go and, you know, uh, survey the well, the old damaged well, so they can go and repair later in these days so local people can have water. Um, other one was we just got into the new area, so it's to familiarize the area. So, yes, we are, we are going and uh, we passed a couple of uh, irrigation irrigations and uh, some poppy fields and compounds. And we're just walking on the side of the poppy field and suddenly went bang. And yeah, my left changed in blink of eye. And how were you injured? What was the type of injury that you had? 
so um, the first thing I noticed was it was ringing my right ear. I had a radio on the left and I looked down and um, uh, my right leg wasn't there. there um, and my left leg was there, but it was, um, uh, you know, dangling on bone and skins. Also injured my right arm, so I couldn't able to move around. So I was just trying to find my tourniquet myself to kind of uh, stop my bleeding, but I couldn't able to do that. Uh, and my friends came back and patched me up. And uh, you know, um, you know, uh, the Pedro, the, the your guys uh, came uh, and rescued me in 17 minutes. And uh, yeah, the next day when I woke up in the hospital. My surgeon and came and told me that, yeah, I lost both of my legs above the knee. Uh, and uh, yeah, also injured my right arm. Some of uh, other multiple injuries, small multiple injuries. And how long were you in the hospital for? So I was hospital about a month. Um, uh, just about five days, I was just going around the world. Because there was, a, when I get injured, there was volcanic ash in the Iceland. So all the plane couldn't land in the Europe. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, um, you know, I, I was sent uh, with um, uh, USA, uh, you, you, know, you know, American forces, uh, your guys, to, um, to DC. So I was on the way. Uh, I went to Bagram, so this American base. I stayed there two nights. Um, and I had a two operation there. The next day I was flown to Balad in Iraq um, and I had a one night there. And next day I was supposed to go to DC, but um, they said that Birmingham airport is uh, clear. So the C-17 went, uh, which is if, if uh, <laughs> there are civilians and they don't know, it's a, it's a big <laughs> military <laughs> aircraft. Uh, so went and uh, um, yeah, they, they they brought me to Birmingham, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to all 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 our uh, American counterparts. At the time, I thought that I was just alone and I just, uh, just I wasn't very you know confident and uh, you know what what was going to happen. But I think when I think now, they look after me really really well. They rescued me and they they, they had a couple of operations and they look after me really well. And it was very scary. We were, uh, I, I remember in Bagram, um, we were four in critical units and I was only the awake, <laughs> awake. rest of them were unconscious. And um, yeah, and um, you know, whatever amount of morphine they give me, I, so I was so painful, so agony. I just couldn't, my pain was, I thought that I was going to die there. Uh, and uh, also their other guys were, you know, really struggling um, to just survive. And the doctors and nurses used to come to Ross and just, uh, you know, just could, doing some CPR. So, yeah, it was quite not that nice to see. So I thought that I was going to die there. But, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, I survived. And you had a really hard recovery mentally and physically. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, the first thing is I went to Afghanistan, <laughs> you know, with the mindset that I'm going to fight. I'm the Gurkha. I'm, I'm going to fight until the end of my breath. You know, that's how I was. That's how I was trained. Um, but 
yeah, there was no enemies and I was survived. My, my, my colleagues did a fantastic job. So, um, but, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the disability. I didn't know what disabled people could do. Uh, I grew up in Nepal um, and where the, you know, disabled people are not treated as a good as a, in Western countries like uh, America and, you know, you know, UK, Europe. So, so you know, uh, many people think that Disabled peoples are the burden of the earth and the uh, sins of previous life. And this is what I taught myself initially. Maybe maybe I've done something wrong. And, but um, so it is, was very difficult for me to come, coming out. Um, and also um, the community I live in here in the UK as well. Also, we they supported me a lot, uh, slightly much better sense, but still we, many of them we grew up in Nepal. So um, it's not just adapt physically, uh, but also, uh, you know, socially we have to adapt. So, so we have to adapt with the, that was hard part than me physically adapting myself, you know? So um, we have to go down differently. Um, we need to go to, let's say, gatherings differently. Uh, we have to shop differently. Um, we have to play differently. We have to go to holiday differently. So yeah, not just me, but whole of my family has to adapt with me. So yeah, it was really, really hard. You know, I couldn't able to play footballs anymore with my son. And yeah, lot, lot, lots of things was uh, was quite hard. So um, one point I was drinking so much, mixing my medication with alcohol. Uh, one point, uh, my hands were very shaky when I didn't drink, uh, and uh, I realized that if I was going to drink that way, I would maybe die soon. So, um, you know, if I die, it's in the, my story, but my family will suffer that because, um, you know, we Nepalese man, we're not just you know, our immediate family are not just depend on us but also many our extended families in Nepal also depend on us uh, so my brothers were in college we moved to Kathmandu from uh, from where we we lived and uh, um, we were not settled down completely um, so my my parents were farmers they did have no pensions no jobs so so um, you know I was the pretty much financially backbone of my family. So I didn't know whether I was going to continue my job, if, if yes, how long. Um, um, so yeah, yeah, whether my, whether my wife was going to stick with me for uh, longer. Uh, so, oh, uh, you know, just looking at the ceiling and, uh, you know, the houses in the UK are not that high. Just and first time I realized that um, you know most of the you know train bridges in the UK are protected in their fence on the side. <laughs> so just, oh, I had all, all those negative thinkings and um, uh, because I uh, I thought that I couldn't do anything, you know. So I had to sit 
the rest of my life on a wheelchair and I would need a care. This is what, this is how, how I grew up and then this is how I thought about it. But slowly, slowly I started um, taking sports and adventure and uh, slowly I, gone, I gained the confidence and start doing all the things that, uh, you know, I, I can put my hands on. So what was that? There was, um, if I remember correctly, there was one sport that you did that just kind of kick-started everything else, something you'd never tried before. Yes, uh, I was kind of a half-suicidal mode at that time uh, because what, many times I thought that, you know, it's not worth of living, yeah, right? Uh, so, so uh, I was kind of half suicidal mode, and um, one of the charity came and said, uh, "There is a skydiving opportunity. Would you um, like to try it?" Okay, then yeah, that's interesting. So I had a two logic. One, if I die, half of my body is gone. If another half goes, that's fine. You know, end of my story. That's it. Uh, another <coughs> one. Another one was. I never done skydiving even when I was in army. So I wanted to experience that. Um, luckily, I went up, you, 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 know, uh, you know, jumped over the airplane. And when we landed safely uh, on the ground, I realized that, yeah, when you don't have legs, you can able to do something, you know? That's what is it. Then after that, what can I do physically? Uh, that was my aim. So I try to pretty much do all the sports and adventure that I can actually put my hands on. So I did like a wheelchair basketball, sitting volleyball, wheelchair rugby, wheelchair table tennis, wheelchair uh, uh, what, um, tennis. Uh, what, what else I did? Uh, kayaking, uh, skiing, archery, you can say javelin, track running, cycling curling, yeah, yeah, climbing, <laughs> you know, it's water skiing, uh, what else I did? Uh, yeah, I, I, I did quite a lot, quite a lot. Pretty, much, pretty much all things that I, I can think of the, uh, and put my hands on. And I was, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that what the, uh, you guys call it non-profits in the UK, uh, we call it charities in, in, here in, uh, in, in America, you call it uh, non-profit, but here in the UK, we call it charities. And, the military charities were, uh, you know, fantastic, and that they they just helped me to just uh, you know build my life. Uh, and I think um, uh, uh, everybody in life we need help some point. When we were kids, um, you know, our parents look after us twenty four hours, right? Uh, it's, I think, uh, and I just realized it one when, when I had um, my, my, my my children. <laughs> so uh, and also over the life, uh, life never gonna go like a smooth going up up. It's gonna be like a, you know up and down. Some of us like a really up and down. But so um, you know when you were down, that is the time we need help, and, um, and that is I call it like a fast flood. So on that time, we need someone to pull us up or cross that fast flood. Once we are other side of the, that fast flood, or once we are again on the top, then we can able to help back others. Um, and uh, I think we shouldn't hesitate to ask help whenever we need. 
even uh, like a, a president and a prime minister, they how many ministers uh, and secretaries that they have got to help them out to run the country. So yes, we definitely need to have something in our life. And how did you get the mountaineering bug? Uh, so mount training, when I was doing all those sports, especially uh, uh, kayaking, uh, uh, sorry, uh, skiing, I used to look at the um, mountains and uh, just thinking about is reminding back uh, my childhood in Nepal that I grew up every day looking at the mountains, right? So, um, so um, I was thinking from, from a very little child that we were educated that um, uh, you, uh, the tallest peak in the world is Mount Everest and it's in Nepal and Nepalese people are very proud of that. So, uh, and also read the story of the Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay who submitted the Everest first. And simply, I was just um, very fascinated by that. And um, I tried when I was in service, but it's too long to train and climb. Well, <coughs> while many operations, as I was serving, it's like a pretty much hot Iraq and Afghanistan and, um, you know, Balkans. So, yeah. So, so it, <laughs> we didn't have much time to actually, uh, you know, you know, do other bits. So, 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 um, uh, so uh, I was always thinking, and uh, I got my friend uh, who's a uh, um, uh, who's a mountain troop leader and uh, chief mountain instructor in SAS, uh, and um, we went to Nepal, and uh, because he 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 was climbing, he cli he led a uh, um, uh, uh, Gurkha's uh, team on Everest. Uh, he right. climbed um, K2, he climbed um, uh, Manaslu uh, and Dolagiri. So um, he, he was the right person. Uh, we, we served together uh, in the same regiment before. Uh, so um, uh, we, we went to Nepal and tested myself whether I can able to do that or how my body feels with altitude. And also, uh, can I able to uh, physically possible to do this as well? So, yeah, we tested. Um, we 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 tried. You know, we we train uh, for Hillary steps. We train for ladders. We train for um, ice and the snow. Yeah, it was finally possible. It's not easy. Every step is a struggle. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, I thought it was possible. So yeah. Here I am now. I shouldn't be climbing all these mountains <laughs> because they, they put a ban on me. Uh, they put a ban on double amputees and visually impaired. So we had to go to Supreme Court in Nepal and overturn the rule and it took time and I couldn't able to climb. And also the corona popped in and um, couldn't able to climb. Finally happening uh, in about six weeks time. <laughs> Not far to go. <laughs> so... So far with your Everest journey, some of your barriers have been that you're a double amputee above the knee, and then you had to essentially petition the Nepali government to get that ban lifted, because was it 2017 that they put a ban for yes. double amputees above the knee and visually impaired, and I think there was one other category. So, so solo climber as well. I yes. think solo climber is still there, but we fought for that disability once and overturned. I think that solo climber is still there, I think. 
And so last year, you kind of started your journey to see how far you could get. You went to EBC. So tell us about that journey. Um, yeah, I, I always, always fascinated um, working all the way to, 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 to the Everest Base Camp. Uh, and um, I didn't get the chance until uh, last last year. Um, 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 I was, uh, I, you know, my aim was to walk with my prosthetic legs, and uh, you know, it's a genome X3s. Um, would now, you know, walk um, to Everest Space Camp because nobody has done it before by double above the amputees. So I just wanted to do that. How I I thought that it will take at least a double amount of the time on these legs, but actually I was able to do in nine days. So the same same amount of time as the normal people would take. So it was just amazing. Um, yeah, it's going. Um, uh, we we landed in Lukla and started walking. And, um, you know, you know, went to stay in Fakting, and the next day Namche Bazaar. We had a two days climatization. Then we went to uh, what is it called? Uh, I think Shangboche. Then we went to Dingboche. We had another climatization night there, and uh, we went to Labuche uh, and Gurakshep. Uh, then Everest Best Camp. Yeah, yeah, it was really good fun. Some of the places uh, I struggled, but you know, one step at a time. There's no rush, take your time. Um, uh, I think I was much, much faster than I, I, I thought. <laughs> and what was that feeling getting into EBC and seeing Mount Everest? Like, how did you feel? What was going through your head? Awesome, coming next year. <laughs> So, so yeah, that's when my I'm coming next. So I actually climbed uh, Mera Peak, which is um, uh, other side of the um, uh, Everest, and you can see the Everest there as well. So um, I saw Everest um, from my eyes <laughs> uh, before I went to EBC. So um, yeah, um, <coughs> it, it's a big mountain, uh, and the higher you go. Uh, it take you, you know it takes lots of amount of uh, energy and time to just get a couple of meters but yeah it's we will get it done and uh, you, you know um Edmund Hillary uh, and Tenzing Norgate they had uh, 10 camps uh, and we are trying to put uh, five or six camps hopefully we will be able to do that and at the moment there are four camps if nobody knows about how many camps in Everest so normal people do it with the four camps but uh, we're thinking to put um, five or six that means uh, we need a more oxygen I need a more surplus to helping me out and uh, you know carrying those oxygens and things like that but they uh, will able to do that and uh, there's many Sherpas who want to come, but uh, unfortunately, I can't able to, uh, you know, take all in my team. Uh, you know, I don't have enough money to do that. You know, if I had lots of money, then yeah, I would, I would give them a job. But simply, <laughs> uh, simply, um, yeah, still, still, I'm raising funds. So, um, yeah, yeah, but uh, but without Sherpas, I wouldn't able to do that definitely. Well, and, and they're proud of you. You're essentially one of their 
one of their own. And I'm sure they're all scrambling to help you and support you because you are very inspiring. Um, so besides the extra oxygen and the extra camps, are there any other things that you're concerned about um, before you reach the top? Um, the one thing is weather. Definitely weather always plays the part. Uh, and um, my, uh, especially my prosthetic legs, my liners, um, that I wear silicon liners. So silicon liner is in cold is very cold. In warm is very warm. So um, luckily um, at at the moment, uh, uh, you know the guys in Indiana <laughs> putting a he, you know heating socket at the moment. So hopefully that will work and protect me from frostbite. But we have got also secondary means if that fails as well. So. Um, yeah, we have got a few options, but, but, you know, we'll do everything we can and give our best. Um, uh, so that's what I can do. You know, there, there will be lots of things that out of my control, uh, which is I can't. Um, but anything that I can able to control, I can able to manage, uh, we'll, be able to, we'll do that. And how big is your team going to be? Uh, so we are all together um, as a whole team, including the best camp staff. We are about 18 uh, 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 of us, but about eight, um, eight Serpas and me and my climbing leader, 10 of us will be um, on the mountain over the best camp. And what does your family uh, think about this whole Everest adventure? Um, I think... Um, they were quite uh, nervous uh, initially, and, but I think they're just bored of me climbing, uh, uh, you know, climbing mountains. So they just want me to do as soon as I can. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but obviously, especially uh, you, you know, when you when you talk about Everest, it's say many people die. It's so dangerous. That's what is the normal people's mind. So yeah, my family. Uh, are no different than that and um, but I, I have convinced them I you know you know put some of things in place if something goes wrong but I'm not going to die in my Everest you know I've got lots of work to do <laughs> in my life <laughs> yeah you I think that you have a lot more people to inspire and a lot more of amazing things to do what are you planning on doing after Mount Everest? What's your next next project? Uh, I think I will keep um, I keep making awareness of a disability uh, because I think this is really really important. This is the way that I can give back to Nepal, which is my motherland as well. So um, um, I will keep doing some of this, but I think I wouldn't be revealing right now. Uh, you know, whatever happens. Uh, so if anything, if, you know, you know, after the, if Everest is successful, then I'll be kind of, you know, uh, you know, lining up what is next. Are you thinking of doing all of the seven, the highest seven? Uh, I haven't thought about that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about uh, that. Um, I've done just one, so which is I think Kilimanjaro. So uh, not many. If I do the Everest, this would be the second one. But 
but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking something different than the Navy Seven Summits. <laughs> Um, and if there's someone out there right now that's listening that has a similar story that they're an amputee, what would you tell them right now? Uh, you know, whatever we have, but our limbs not going to grow, right? We need to accept that. <laughs> but other part of our life is just kind of temporary. As long as we are positive uh, and work hard, um, then I think we would be um, able to do anything we can. Maybe some of our uh, hands is a uh, weakness. For me, is my legs are my weaknesses, right? Somebody had their mind is a weakness, right? So um, that doesn't mean that we can't do anything. Yeah, we can able to do the things where human beings is all in our mindset. If, let's say if we set our mind, then our body follows right <laughs> so so whether it follows whether uh, is running if not it will uh, walking if we can't walk we'll be crawling if we're crawling we'll be still rolling as long as we keep keep it going and adapt our life according to the time and situation uh, then i think we'd be uh, able to do that you know one example is you know i used to uh, skiing on my both legs when I had legs and now I ski in one ski uh, with the two rigors on my hand uh, but I can go same, as fast as I could go uh, I can have exactly same fun I can go to the same route uh, maybe the harder route that, <laughs> than I used to go so um, it's just different way of doing the things simply yeah it's just adapting the life you know uh, very this is this is really simple thing adapting thing but it's so so powerful uh, that you know this is uh, so when you go to the ice we change our feet you know uh, even there's no uh, you know crampons were designed for double above knee amputee so we actually had to design our mice up you know you, you know you, you know so so and they don't design in the UK. I was very lucky to have a friends in the US and you guys are just awesome. You can just do, we get it done. <laughs> you know, you, know so you guys are just awesome. And, and you know, helped me out a lot. Um, um, you know, building crampons. Now you're putting a, you know, heating installations in my socket. So yeah, if, if there is a will, uh, then we'll find a way of, uh, you know, doing it. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's there's many many things um, uh, that uh, you know we struggle, but that doesn't mean that it's not impossible. I uh, you know just looking looking into this another example is so we couldn't able to you know run in run fast enough to tra travel around the world, so we we start designing the things uh, to that we can go faster faster in the land, in the sea, uh, in the sky. Now we can fly to another planet. Who made that possible? It's uh, us, the human uh, being who made that possible. And even today, I'm talking to you virtually. Uh, and this is also, we are privileged to have it because some point in some time, in some point, uh, they actually, um, in someone, you know, they challenge themselves 
uh, and they, um, they, they worked hard, they invested their time and money, so we are utilizing it. And anything around the world that we have got, somebody, some point in the time, they challenged themselves, worked hard, and discovered it. So, um, so, so uh, life is like that. So uh, we can able to make the impossible things possible as long as we challenge ourselves. So hopefully me climbing Everest, the first thing is we'll make awareness of disability. That's my aim. And the second thing, hopefully me doing so, it will help that the future amputees um, about the prosthetic legs and some of the technologies, I hope. Uh, and we're already doing lots of research um, uh, and, uh, you know, in, in, in innovations at the moment. So uh, hopefully that will help, but also hopefully this my expedition will inspire some of people uh, to climb their own mountains, whatever mountain they may have. Uh, and uh, whatever dreams they may have. So hopefully they will achieve one step further um, than uh, what uh, they are now. You have such an amazing story. Thank you so much, Hari, for joining us. And hopefully we'll talk again when you get back from Mount Everest after you reach the summit and change the world with just one little climb. Yes, one little step at a time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as I did. He was so inspiring and just a really sweet and kind human being. I'll put all of his links in the description of this podcast episode, a lot of his funding does come from crowdsourcing and there are links on his website, haribuddhamagar.com. Be sure to follow him and his journey across social media. I'm not sure yet, again, what the next episode is going to be, but hopefully it will be something exciting and then we'll get back to more interviews once I'm able to get all of those rescheduled. So we'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to the All About Everest podcast. Please rate, subscribe, follow, and share. You can follow us on social media at All About Everest. And if you love what we do, you can even buy us a coffee. If you're interested in interviewing for us, please let us know or even sharing your Everest story. Cheers.